The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Amplifier Advisors, LLC, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jonathan Aberman. You might have heard of 5G in a television ad, or maybe you've heard of the phrase smart cities at an economic development event over the last year or so. But do these things really matter to you? Well, our guests today think that these two things matter a lot. With me in the studio are Jack McDougall, the CEO of the Greater Washington Board of Trade, and Chuck Bean, the Executive Director of the Metropolitan Council of Governments. Their respective organizations have partnered with the Consortium of Universities of the Greater Washington Area to launch a new regional initiative that they call the Greater Washington Smart Region Movement. We're going to dedicate this week's episode of What's Working in Washington to this initiative because, in my opinion, it has enormous implications for how our region grows and will also very much determine who benefits from technology-led economic growth. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me. Hey, great, great to be here. here. Thanks, well, Jonathan. I'm glad, glad to have you here, and frankly, the region's glad to have both of you pushing initiatives like this along because technology can be a great enabler but can also be a great challenge. So let's start with this. Jack, this is something you and I have talked about a lot over the last few years, and Chuck, I want you to chime in as well. But Jack, what exactly is a smart region, and what does it have to do with things like 5G? All right, so a couple things uh, on that. So let's just start with 5G, for example. So uh, people have you know, heard a lot about 5G, uh, and it's getting rolled out now. But exactly what is 5G? So it's, um, it's the latest version of a cellular technology. So think about it in terms of uh, incredible amounts of data moving across these networks in lightning speed. So how is that practical to individuals? Um, most people or many people use Uber and Lyft, for example. Uber and Lyft could not operate in a 3G cellular world. They needed 4G. And it's because of the amount of data that's getting transmitted across the networks that's required. So. Uh, even sometimes now you get a little frustrated with your Uber map because the, uh, it's not exactly pinpointing you where you need to be or where you need to go. Uh, 5G is going to eliminate a lot of that, but then so much more. Uh, it's estimated right now in this environment that per person there's roughly maybe six to eight devices connected through these networks. When 5G rolls out, we're looking upwards of 28 Per so, person. Per person. And so that's not just things that you walk around with in your pocket I or on not. your watch, <laughs> but it's things in your house that are now starting to communicate with one another. So if you've heard of the Internet of Things, IoT, that's when things start to talk to each other and start to work together. And how that's relevant to us in our region is that technology continues to move very, very rapidly uh, across the globe. And so it's no longer just a luxury or a convenience, but it's a necessity that you stay in the forefront of having digital infrastructure in place so that we can fully take advantage of these technologies. And so that's what Chuck and I and the Consortium of Universities as founding partners of the Greater Washington Smart Region Movement are looking to do across this region over the next 10, 15, and 20 years. Chuck, it's interesting to me that when I see you and how hard you and the Metropolitan Council of Governments have worked over the years on things like metro and transportation, is this the 21st century superhighway? Is that is that why you guys are interested in this? Well, probably reason number one, you heard Jack, and I think he's a brainiac, so I'm just going to hitch my cart to Jack's train. That's what and, we all do. You know, the partner with the Consortium of Universities had the brain power of the universities in on this. 
But but to answer your question, yeah, COG is uh, involved in, in transportation, and we're involved in environmental work, and we're involved in public safety and homeland security. So um, getting a digital platform, being smart on all those areas, transportation, environment, public safety, there's huge opportunities, opportunities I think, for local government. What we're describing is basically a topography that will allow for rapid data exchange so that Uber will have a better idea of where Uber is, will have a better idea of, of whether or not our maps are accurate and our traffic's accurate and we're driving along. Jack, those are the, the things that come to my mind. Give me some other examples of what, what does life look like for a smart region? Well, uh, to put it in context, it wasn't that long ago that you needed, what, 12, 13, even 14 parking apps on your phone to navigate across this region? wasn't very effective. You know, mm -hmm. most people probably remember the early stages of easy passes. You know, if you wanted to go visit your grandparents, you know, three states away, you needed at least th three different easy passes. Which is know? why we never went to see them. You never them, went obviously. to see them, right. Yes. And they're lost in the glove compartment. They're falling down on the ground. You're, you're going through. You're getting tickets. All right. So, I mean, those are sort of basic examples. But when we start thinking about elevated uh, opportunities around connected health care, uh, you know, integrated mobility, um, then this becomes a lot more complicated. And so how do we think about, as a region, how are we going to deploy these technologies to our maximum benefit? So there's a couple of options. We could either sit back and react to the future, which really isn't very successful, or we can get out in front of it. And so at working with the Council of Governments uh, is a really amazing opportunity. And then, as Chuck says, bringing in the academic, the, uh, academic un the universities in that environment uh, gives us a really good cross-cutting platform to start thinking about these things holistically and not just piecemeal. Because, quite frankly, uh, Montgomery County deploys a certain technology and Fairfax County deploys another technology. If they're not compatible, it's not going to work. You know, that's the parking app example. Okay. So, so for example, if um, people start to use 5G technology for homeland security as a way to figure out where there might be uh, – uh, inhibitions on the ability to get people out of a situation rapidly. And you've got D.C. has an emergency management system that's different from Maryland's, that's different from Virginia, and people are going up K Street, heading towards Canal Road. Which way should they go? If you don't have interoperability, you've got a problem. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, these are things that uh, the emergency managers of the region, the city county managers are working on all the time. So uh, one, one real example is uh, this region needs to evolve from the current uh, 911 platform to next generation 911 platform. And we got to make sure that, uh, you know, if I'm on the border between uh, Bethesda and the district and I make a call, that that call goes to the right 911 center. So we need to make sure that, uh, you know, part of it is consensus and uh, operational agreements, but part of it is uh, using the best technology. Now, my perspective, the opportunity to work more closely with the private sector is that we'll be able to get to the, those standards faster. Uh, what is the cutting-edge standard that we need to be using? And that's going to set. That's going to accelerate and facilitate these kind of agreements, these kind of uh, collaborations. Well, it sounds to me like a lot of this is trying to orchestrate private sector activity, and that is a fascinating topic. So after the break, I want to come back and I want to start there. How does a a public-facing consortium organized effort collaborate and organize what many people would think is a private function. I'm here with Jack McDougal, the CEO of Greater Washington Board of Trade, and Chuck Bean, the Executive Director of the Metropolitan Council of Governments. We'll be right back. Thank you to our sponsor, the Greater Washington Board of Trade. 
Greater Washington Board of Trade represents leading businesses, nonprofit organizations, and academic institutions and has helped shape the development of our region for over 130 years. Visit boardoftrade.org to learn about how a Board of Trade membership can help your organization succeed in this rapidly changing marketplace. Thanks to Auric, an international law firm that focuses on technology, energy, and infrastructure finance. Clients worldwide call on it for forward-looking commercial advice on transactions, litigation, and compliance. Learn more at auric.com. And we're back in this What's Working in Washington Extra. Here in the studio with me are Jack McDougall, the CEO of the Greater Washington Board of Trade, and Chuck Bean, the Executive Director of the Metropolitan Council of Governments. We're talking about the Smart Region Movement, the Greater Washington Smart Region Movement. Before the break, gentlemen, I raised the, the concern that what you're talking about is coordinating, which makes an awful lot of sense to me, but my experience as a venture investor, boy, private sector, particularly in technology, getting them to coordinate is really difficult. Chuck, you've been here in this region for a long time trying to coordinate lots of different things. Metro, as an example, how are we going to get these private sector actors like the telecoms and startups uh, and big companies to cooperate on the standard setting activity? Put this in perspective, it was about uh, four years ago that we did a region-wide analysis of our region's infrastructure, and we were about $58 billion behind. Mm -hmm. So we made a big chunk of that in the Metro funding funding deal, but there's more infrastructure investment that's needed in our in our water pipes and our electrical grid, et cetera. The only way we're going to get there, or at least the only way we're going to get there faster is to think about uh, public-private uh, partnerships. So, you know, look at Transurban in Northern Virginia. This has been good for the Commonwealth, good for commuters, I would think, and good for Transurban. Now, the industries that you're talking about all have a unique partnership with government. You know, there's public uh, utility commissions, public service commissions, different names. And, you know, the undergrounding of cable of pipes is uh, in in essence, a partnership between utilities and government. So working with the Board of Trade, they can kind of bring an umbrella to their side of the equation, and the council governments can bring uh, our side to the table for some, make sure that we're putting the best pipes uh, in the ground, if you will. And Jack, maybe pipes is a, is a 20th century term when I ought to be thinking about 21st century. Pipes is still good. Fiber, <laughs> cable, uh, you know, uh, well, Wi-Fi networks, a whole host of things. But yeah, there's different ways to think about it. Yeah, Rail pipes well, or railroads. Well, yeah. I think, you know, and as, as Chuck says too, you know, Private sector can't do this alone, and government can't do this alone. And that, you know, I think we're entering a new era where that's more apparent than ever. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to really begin thinking about how can we more effectively leverage public-private partnerships. If you think about technology deployments to date, now remember, we're not talking that long ago. The Internet really only went live in 1991. Yep. So this isn't a very long-term phenomenon that we're dealing with. And so we're constantly evolving. We're constantly figuring out how things look going forward. But even the business models, business models have already turned upside down in many cases because of the internet. And I think they will continue to do so. So how we compete, how we define pre-competitive collaboration. And I think one of the things that a lot of the service and the technology providers have recognized is that under current oper you know, the way we're currently operating, the marketplace is somewhat capped and limited. And so if we want to begin to expand that marketplace so that we can take advantage of what these technologies allow us, we have to start thinking about things differently. And so I'll give you an example of that. If you think about sort of technology or smart technology 1.0, that was purely a, uh, an industry play. Industry would come in with a solution, it would be top down, and, and they would deploy. You know, as you moved into 2.0, governments got more involved in, uh, in these, putting out RFPs, 
you know, and then bringing in a technology provider or a solution provider, and they would implement, you know, uh, a solution stack. But none of this was integrated, you know, and so it wasn't thinking holistically. And so, you know, Chuck, what, you know, what we're talking about and what we're thinking about here is how does our region begin to think about these things systemically mm -hmm. and who plays what role? Because it's not just about cable and Wi-Fi and 5G and those. That's not the only infrastructure at play here. It's also governance. How do we work as the business community? How does government respond to the needs of its citizens? What does the policy environment need to be? What do the regulations need to be? That's all part of the infrastructure that's requirement. There's a, there's a, an interesting concept that if you take a new technology and, and you know just put it on top of an old process, all you get is a very expensive old process. Right. So we have to really think about the process. And so, Chuck, you know, working with the Council of Governments and the universities and bringing in all these other partners, uh, it's going to really afford us a chance to look through that. So every, this needs to be all in. This is an inclusive process. It affects everyone. Everyone needs to be involved. You know, we can't do this alone. If you have a situation where different parts of our region have different rules for when they're going to accept autonomous buses and where they're going to operate and how they're going to operate, it's a mess. So I, I hear you on that. If, if one part of the, the region says that they're willing to accept certain type of drones in their region and others are not, we're going to have a problem. If certain parts of our region deal with digital access by providing subsidies to low-income houses and low-income families and others do not, we're going to have a problem. So are you ultimately talking about a uh, – is this a lobbying effort? Is this uh, trying to provide uh, – you know, guidance to our politicians. How do you see this unfolding? A couple of things from, you know, a government guy talking about a business perspective, but let me mm -hmm. let me give it a shot. I, I hear from Jack and his board members uh, interest in this effort because if both Fairfax and Montgomery and the district, you know, which are, you know, markets in themselves, but if they express the same desire for the same product to go to the same standard, then I think his folks are more interested because it's a bigger market. You know, mm -hmm. Fairfax, uh, Montgomery, Prince George's alone are bigger than a half dozen states. But put those together, you got a bigger market. So that's fine. But the second part of the business angle is uh, I hear from Jack and his board members an interest in, uh, I, I think the term would be uh, a social entrepreneur approach, social good approach, that uh, there's the potential for the private sector to bring capital to uh, an initiative. There's a return on investment for those investors, but if there's an honest broker, then that part of that investment can go towards a social good. So if there's a, some kind of smart technology deployed in a heavy commerce district, central business district of, of, of the district or Bethesda, uh, Tyson's, et cetera, that if we can work together and devise that governance, that that investment can also be channeled to subsidize other neighborhoods, other communities uh, for that same technology. So traditionally, that has happened on a federal level. And <clears throat> we can go back to AT&T, which was regulated by the government as a natural monopoly and uh, effectively long-distance <clears throat> subsidized local, co you know, local coverage in rural areas. That all broke down. How do you do this? without the federal government, or is the federal government going to ultimately have to be a partner in this? You know, because, of, for example, access to uh, broadband, you know, um, as, as one big example, I mean, solving the digital divide, that would seem to me that the federal government's regulation or not regulation of the providers of the bandwidth is a huge issue here. Well, in a lot of cases, we're entering new territory here, you know, um, 
around standard setting, you know, uh, Chuck's point about setting standards and looking at standards. Uh, in some cases, localities are out in front of where the federal government is. Uh, in other cases, the federal government's out in front. And so we will need them involved. And actually, we already do have them involved uh, in this particular effort, particularly around standard setting. Um, but when you start thinking about a whole host of issues that are very important to individuals around data, for example, you know, who owns data? You know, who has access to the data? You know, how does data get monetized? You know, how do we ensure privacy and respect privacy? And so you have a whole host of issues. We can't ultimately do that on a jurisdiction by jurisdiction basis. You know, that's not something that Chuck's folks, you know, want to deal with individually. We need to come up with some very common platforms. Same thing around cybersecurity. I mean, I know like when you talk to a lot of the folks in COG, I think there are opportunities where by working together, we could devise means to provide a greater level of cybersecurity across the entire region by collaborating more effectively in some of those areas. And they already do, but there is, I think, an opportunity to expand that. And so there are some cases where uh, each locality will have a unique uh, requirement that they're going to need. That's fine. But in most cases, 60, 70, 80% of the requirements are going to be common across the board. You know, and so why don't we take advantage of the, com the economies of scale you know, and do that in a much more integrated fashion and do it from the outset rather than having to go back later on and retrofit you know, and all that sunk capital then just goes by the wayside. Well, more to the point, I think that uh, what we see very clearly is that in the absence of some sort of unified standard, you end up with silos. And in a lot of ways, the growth in the Internet's now being constrained by the emergence of silos, walled gardens, whether it's Apple or it's Google or Facebook. They're all competing to try to now trap the users within them. And many are concerned that a lot of the freedom that the web created is being constrained. And many people, you're absolutely right, want to make sure that as 5G emerges, as the smart technologies emerge, similar things don't happen. I'm here with Jack McDougal, the CEO of the Greater Washington Board of Trade, and Chuck Bean, the Executive Director of the Metropolitan Council of Governments. On this What's Working in Washington Extra, after the break, we're going to talk about some specific things that are now occurring in our region to get after the challenge of how to make a smart region. We'll be right back. to our sponsor, the Greater Washington Board of Trade. The Greater Washington Board of Trade represents leading businesses, nonprofit organizations, and academic institutions, and has helped shape the development of our region for over 130 years. Visit boardoftrade.org to learn about how a Board of Trade membership can help your organization succeed in this rapidly changing marketplace. Thanks to Auric, an international law firm that focuses on technology, energy, and infrastructure finance. Clients worldwide calling it for forward-looking commercial advice on transactions, litigation, and compliance. Learn more at auric.com.
And we're back in this What's Working in Washington Extra. I'm here in the studio with Jack McDougall, the CEO of the Greater Washington Board of Trade, and Chuck Bean, the Executive Director of the Metropolitan Council of Governments. For the break of promise, we're going to have a conversation about tangible things that we're going to see happening here in the region as we focus on how to make it smarter. Jack, I know this is something that you, well, and Chuck, and everybody else are thinking a lot about. Give me some tangible examples of the type of things that we're going to see happen in this region soon that'll make a difference. That's a bit of a muddied question, if you will, because I'm we sorry. have there's a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> all right. I'm going to push back on that a little bit. Okay. Uh, so there's a lot of things that we have to do to put in place okay. in order to get to there. So one of the things that we've seen, and there's a lot of talk about smart technologies. We see it all the time. It's cover of magazines, it's on the news, everybody's talking about it. But a lot of that is all about the applications. And so we haven't spent as much time talking about what is the operating system. So you think about your phone. You can't really run your Angry Birds app if you don't have a good operating system. You know, So before we start jumping to apps and investing in all these various applications around healthcare and mobility and transportation and things like that, we got to make sure we get the infrastructure right. So we're going to be doing a lot of that work at the outset. And that's why the partnership with Chuck and his folks and the universities is so really important that we get that right. However, as part of that, though, we will be launching some things coming up around autonomous vehicles. Uh, in fact, we will likely see autonomous vehicles in our region this year. Um, we're going to likely see Wi-Fi-enabled kiosks deployed this year in some of our neighborhoods. So we'll see some of those kinds of tangible things. But think about it in these terms right now. You know, And Chuck and I were talking about this and some of his folks around uh, census, the census, the decennial census that's coming up. 20% of folks don't have access to the Internet on a regular basis. That could potentially cause significant problems with undercounting. One of the key things that we have to do here is we've got to eliminate the digital divide. And so how do we make sure that we get everybody connected? Because if you're not participating in this, you're falling farther and farther behind. Job opportunities, better health care, transportation, and a whole host of things. And all that does is continue to widen the economic divide that really exists in our region. Mm. And uh, we need to work together to make sure that we close that. And technology offers us an opportunity to do that. Absolutely. And indeed, the, the promise of 5G is broadband speeds through a smart device and cell phone. And, and the as we've seen in, in less developed countries, as they develop, often they leapfrog yeah. the whole telecom network and people become... Just go to cells. Go to cells. Right. And is that what you're thinking here? Is that 5G will allow people who don't otherwise have access to broadband to have access to the internet through their phones? Yeah, I think so. And what's really interesting is, is a lot of folks actually have the device, they just don't have the data plans. And so we have to figure out how do we close that gap. Chuck, what about you? I think there's going to be some things that uh, the average Joe can see, and then there's going to be some things that the person is not going to see, but it's going to help them in their quality of life. You know, I think that if uh, we can execute on this plan collaboratively, uh, more people have uh, more access to the internet and to the fastest net internet possible in the world. COG has long done the uh, air pollution uh, warnings for the region, and we have monitors in cooperation with uh, Maryland, D.C., and Virginia. But, uh, you know, these could be much more granular. When Jan Jack talks about the Internet of Things, this could be right down to the neighborhood and the block. What's the air quality there? You know, M.D.V.D.O.T., we work with them on traffic signal optimization, you know, so traffic can, can flow better. But, uh, you know, we're always hungry for more technology. I think, uh, you know, if somebody is uh, picked up by an ambulance, uh, greater technology uh, can have uh, greater health care as they're transported to the facility. Mm -hmm. um, you know, behind the scenes, uh, our local jurisdictions rely on computer-aided dispatch to collaborate on uh, which is the closest fire truck if, it, if an event is right on the border between a city and a county. So we always want the best, best technology possible. 
And we want to make sure that that best technology is for all five and a half million residents of, of our region. You know, Jonathan, I think a big picture, we, we got to uh, be able to seize this opportunity for two reasons. One, you know, our metro region has the scale. We're the fifth largest economy in, in the country, you know, over $500 billion. So we can harness that scale. And we're the only region with the seat of the federal government. You know, 70% of the world's internet traffic goes to the data centers. And you know all about DARPA as a ecosystem to spur innovation. So um, no one else has this opportunity. And, you know, I'm glad we're working with Board of Trade and Consortium of Universities to, to seize it. I couldn't agree more with the, some of the assets that we have in this region. And if we can align those more effectively, we'll really, I think, begin to set us apart and make us that much more competitive and improve livability. One of the things to keep in mind here, too, is that this is about improving the citizen experience, individuals. This is grassroots. It's not about a top-down imposed solution, but it's about engaging everyone. And how do you improve the daily lives of our citizens across this region? So transportation is a key aspect to that. So how do we improve our transportation systems? How do we put dedicated bus lanes in across the region? Then how do you then add technology that allows people to make better decisions about how fast they can get to and from work? You know, to a single mom with a kid in daycare, if she can cut an hour or two hours out of her daily commute, that has a massive impact. Or be productive while she's commuting. Or be productive while she's commuting. So there's a whole host of things that, that start to come together. We're almost out of our time together, and I don't want to leave you without asking you this. What's your call to action to the business community? What do, what do we all need to do to support this? So I think from the outset, it's one of the things that how we're rolling this out is awareness getting more and more people aware of what it is that we're trying to do and what the benefits are of collaborating on building out this kind of a, uh, an infrastructure across the region. So uh, get involved, you know, give us a call, let us know uh, and participate in what it is that we're trying to do this. You know, we deliberately call this a movement because the more people involved, the better off it's going to be. How about you, Chuck? What's your call to action? I think uh, from a government perspective, uh, the cities and counties of the region just need to come forward with what their needs are. And if that need can be addressed together, then we're answering the question, what can we do better together than we can do alone? And in this case, with the private sector and the university community. As a startup guy, I love it when people talk about building a big sandbox because I know lots of people are going to get opportunities to create companies and create new jobs. Wonderful having you. Jack McDougall, CEO of the Greater Washington Board of Trade, thanks for joining us today. Great, thank you. And Chuck Bean, the Executive Director of the Metropolitan Council of Governments. Chuck, always great to see you. Great to be here with you. And you've been listening to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. My producer is Tracy Madigan. And as you know, this show is about promoting why Washington, D.C. is a great place to do business and why it is a great place to be an entrepreneur and innovator. You know, our town is a lot more than government. New businesses have started. Maybe you've been to a new restaurant this week. It's all entrepreneurship, social entrepreneurship, doing things in a new way to solve needs. These are the kind of things that happened in a really unique way in the greater Washington region. That's what this show, What's Working in Washington, is about. But it's only as good as you and your participation. So if you've got an idea for somebody that we should be talking with, let us know. Tweet us at, at What's Working DC and let us know that there's a story out there that needs to be told. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan, online writer Barbara Ulrich, music provided by two DC region bands, Two Car Living Room, and The Sunbathers. Tweet us at, at What's Working DC and tell us what you think of the show. Don't forget to like us on iTunes. 
I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening. See you next time. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Monday afternoons at 2.30 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.